The following sermon is brought to you by ThePreachersVault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. Lawrence Chadwick outset to accomplish something that no woman at that point had accomplished and that was that she was planning to swim from the Catalina Islands which was just off the coast of California back to the coast of California. Uh, They believed that she could do that because she had already been able to swim uh, quite a distance before, been able to already accomplish uh, several world records herself and so that was something that they believed she could do. She got up early that morning, which was very, very cold. When she entered into the water, the fog was very thick. They say she could probably only see about 10 yards in front of her when she got into the water. She had been swimming about 15 hours at this point when she did something she had never done before. That is, she gave up. She was surrounded at that point by many of the lifeboats that were around her, one of which included her mother that was there cheering her on, encouraging her daughter that she only had a little farther to go and she needed to keep going, but she didn't feel like she could make it. She was physically and emotionally drained, and she needed to get out of the water right then. She just didn't feel like she could swim even another stroke. There were men that were there at her side that assisted her out of the water. They got her out of the water, wrapped her in blankets very quickly, and began to motor toward the shore. And that's when they realized she only had a couple of hundred yards left, and she was so disappointed. After she made it to the shore, just to paraphrase what she said, she basically said only this, If I could only have seen the shore... I would have never quit. That's pretty much the way that I believe some of us may feel in the day of judgment. If we could only see the shores of heaven, we would have never quit. Friends, you and I need in this life endurance. We need the ability through faithfulness. That's what endurance is. It is the ability to be faithful to God. We need the ability to keep on keeping on. Read with me this morning a context. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Read with me verses 1 through 4. It's what we're going to be discussing in this hour, Lord willing, at the 5 o'clock hour also. Here's what the scriptures say. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with patience. Let us lay aside every weight, the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners 
against himself, lest we be wearied and faint in our minds. Now I want to add verse 4 to that, and we'll prove that about five minutes till six tonight. For we have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Now I want you to look back, if you would, into verse 1. And I want to take one word. If you're reading from the King James, you'll see the word the way that I do. If you're reading from the New King James, you'll see the word the way that I'm going to correct it. And perhaps some other translations, it'll be corrected for you also. But I want you to take that word that you might be seeing in the King James as the word patience. And I want you to make a correction there in that translation and change that word to the word endurance. Because a better way of translating that word is to read the phrase and say, let us lay aside the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with endurance. Why is that? Because Jesus likewise endured. Friends, that is what we need, as I've already stated, that is what we need as Christians, perhaps above everything else, is endurance. Now I'm coupling endurance alongside of and right in with the thought process of that of faithfulness. Now, I was if I were to be assigned the topic, and I have been in the coming weeks in another place, I was assigned the topic of faithfulness and remaining faithful in that. The first thing that came to my mind is perhaps would uh, myself and you and, and other preachers and teachers and students of the Bible, the first thing that came to my mind is I thought, well, they want me to talk about the idea that comes in in Revelation 2.10. We pull that phrase out. Be thou faithful or full of faith unto death and I will give thee a crown of life and I thought about it and I considered the context and I thought well that's a way to spin that that's a way of saying that we need to be full of faith up to the point of it even if it brings us or causes our death and there's certainly a way that you and I ought to think about that I then reflected upon that and I took it back to the parallel that's found in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 22 where Jesus told his disciples, he that endureth, and that's similar to the thought we're seeing here, he that endureth until the end shall be saved. And that is the idea also of faithfulness coupled with endurance. But let me tell you what's wrong with those two contexts in the way that I need to think about it in my life right now. Perhaps you're in the same position. Both of those contexts, Matthew 10 and verse 22, likewise Revelation 2 and verse 10, are really speaking of how we are to endure and to be faithful and have faithful endurance in light of persecution. And there's a level of which in the media, just recently in the latest news, in which you and I are going to constantly and increasingly be involved in persecution. I'm not arguing that. But friends, Jim Merle today, this day, right now, is not involved directly in any way that I'm aware of in the moment, involved in physical or even emotional persecution. I may very well be, I may be in danger of, I may be facing that at some point in time. I'm not in denial of that. But I am. I am in a position personally, and if we share this, this will maybe help to you. I am in a position right now where I need endurance emotionally and spiritually in my life. 
I've dealt with some things in the last five to six months that I won't necessarily go into detail or share with you spiritually that has hurt me in my faith to the point that I need to think about my endurance, not just today, but in the long haul of my life. And if I have to live on this earth for another six days, six years, or 60 years, I need to be prepared for life whether I am ever persecuted or not. And it doesn't have anything to do with my health. It doesn't have anything to do with my wealth or financial status. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with being tried with everyday life and with the spiritual exposure I have to the Christians that I'm around. And I'm talking about inside the church. Now this context in my mind... Hebrews chapter 12 can help us to deal with that. What I'm talking about here is the idea of pressing on in the prolonged. You see, it's easy to be a child of God's for a moment. It's easy to be a child of God's for uh, several years or several months or maybe even a, a decade or so, but it's harder to be a child of God's on and on and on and on. I didn't know that I'd ever encounter a time in my life, but I'm telling you and I'm admitting to you openly, I'm beginning to encounter a time in my life where I want to pray the words that were prayed toward the end of of our uh, copies of God's Word in the last portion of Revelation 22 where it was recorded there, Lord, come quickly. And I'm not talking about society. I'm not talking about morality. I'm not talking about any of the outward things. I'm talking about having to deal with a life that I live in right now. Lord, come quickly. So let's examine this context very slowly. So slowly to which you and I will not even cover, but very, mostly most of the first verse in this hour. Let's notice some things. I'll give you some words, just some words for our memory's sake. Look at the first phrase here. He says, Wherefore, seeing we are so compassed about, here it is, with the great cloud of witnesses. Number one, the first word I want to put with that is the encouragement. The encouragement. You could put there the encouragers that are there. He speaks here of a great great cloud of witnesses. Now, who are these people? Well, you would immediately say, and we often do, we say, well, these are the people that are listed in the preceding chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. The idea of Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Sarah and all of these characters. Well, there's a great sense in which uh, that's who's being spoken of. And as he's making the picture known here, he says this is a great cloud of witnesses. And so he's picturing there, in a sense, an arena or a stadium type situation. The majority of us, in in this state at least, over the course of a weekend, Thursday for some of you all the way up through Saturday on yesterday, we're involved in that. We watch football and such as that. So we saw a stadium filled with fans, filled with people who were cheering their teams on in the football arena and the stadiums that were there. There were hundreds of thousands of people there all cheering their, their teams on and cheering on those players. So we understand that. We know what that's about. We experience that on sometimes a weekly basis. So we we know what that's all about. 
We understand what's being spoken of here, the picture that's being drawn, that these racers, in this case, they're racing around an an arena there. They're racing and they're looking up and they're seeing these people who are cheering them on. But what we really need to understand is that the people who are in these stadiums in this day that's being pictured, all of these people have gone down. They've already been in that race. They've already been a participant themselves. And they've made their way up into these stands. And now they're looking back down and they're telling the people, you can do it. You can do it just as I have already in the past. You see, that's different. A large majority of people who set up in the football stadiums of modern day, they've never touched a football in the middle of a performance such as these college players are doing on Saturday. They've never been involved in a situation like that. They've never carried that ball in that way or been hit or had to hit anyone in that way. They've never been a participant like that. But this biblical and this uh, spiritual picture that's being laid upon us, this one right here, they have been a part of that. These people who are observing in this manner, they have been in this situation before. And they're here for a reason. Again, we don't have the time to reflect really on on this preceding chapter, but I want you to just consider some some things with me. Just on the law of averages, there's someone who's thought in their mind. Maybe they're not sitting here right now, but there's someone who's thought in their mind. You know, I, I feel like sometime in my life, I'm just kind of alone. Like I'm in the middle of this Christian race and I'm having to endure what I endure in life. I'm just alone. I'm the only one in my family, for example, who who are trying to live the Christian life exactly the way that God prescribes it. I'm the only one who believes that the standard of morality that's laid out in Scripture is actually the way that it has to be done. I'm the only one who believes that the way that I live matters to everyone everyone around me. I'm the only one that believes that I have to be faithful to God every time I can. I'm the only one that believes that the world around me is lost and dying and that it's left up to me and it's my duty to show them the way to the Lord. I'm the only one that believes that way. Now someone feels that way. But you know, in this picture, we look up in the stands and we finally make eye contact with Noah. And he said, you're not the only one that's ever felt that way because I've been right where you are. I stood on earth at a time when I was the only one. When nobody else cared. When I was the preacher for the earth. When finally out of many, many years of convincing, I got my family to at least to come and be in one place of safety. But it took some convincing. And that lasted for a period of time. But I can't tell you that it did so much good for all my family. But I gave it what I had. He's a part of the cloud of witnesses. It takes endurance to do that. 
there's someone else who stands back and they say to themselves, well, you know what? You know, personally for me, I've been in a position for a while where I'm having to deal with some things in life that I don't necessarily understand. I feel like God is asking me to do some things and to go through some things that I just, they just don't make sense to me. I, I've always felt like in my life that, that what has come before me, I've, I've kind of seen it coming. I've kind of been able to predict the next move. And, you know, in my career, for example, or in my family, I've kind of just always felt comfortable where I was. And, and lately, things have not necessarily gone that way. And I've not, I, I don't really know which way to turn now. And things are kind of coming at me a little more quickly in life than I expect them. And, and now some things are being asked of me that are really burdensome. And, and really, it seems like everything's bearing down on me. And I don't know which way to turn. And you see, we can look up in the stadium now and we can make eye contact and we look around. And there we go. There's a man named Abraham. And he said, my life was going in one way and God asked me to go a whole other way and I didn't know which way he wanted me to turn either. I had no idea what God wanted of me. But I just followed what he asked. Even when he asked me to take a life of my son. Sure, it was difficult. But thanks be to God, I had a spouse that would go with me. Some people live like that. It takes endurance. Someone else steps up and they get in a position in life and they say, you know what? I've lived my life for quite a while for for God. I've I've been a Christian for a long time. But as I've gotten older, I've gotten weaker, my body's gotten frail and I just can't do what I used to be able to do. And there's not a whole lot I can do for God anymore. I'm kind of washed up. I'm trying to find new ways to to work hard for the Lord, but I just, I don't know what's left, what's out there for me anymore. And they can look to the stands and before long they make eye contact. There's Moses. He said, you want me to tell you about getting old? Man, I was 80 years old before I did anything that really mattered. And God put a nation on me at that point. And Joshua, and on through the list. You see, all Satan is outset to do is to discourage us. All he's outset to do is try to put us down to keep us held in place by discouraging us. And all these men, this great cloud of witnesses have set out to do or outset to do is to encourage us and to lift us up. So we have encouragement. Wherefore, seeing we're so compassed that it's surrounded about with a great cloud of witness. The next instruction here, he says, let, let us lay aside every weight. That's the King James translation. Literally here, very literally, very literally, he says, let us take off the fat. Now, what we usually speak of, and I'm going to describe it in the same way, 
he, 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 sometimes we talk about this, him saying, well, take off the extra garments. And we describe that and we say, well, and back in that day, the Lord's day and prior to that, these racers that were preparing for a race, they oftentimes had on a lot of extra garments. Um, sometimes like men do today who are training for races, they put on weights, ankle weights and uh, wrist weights and sometimes body weights. I went down the road one day and saw a guy had on an entire vest that he wore that had weights all over it. He was running with that. Very hot that day. I don't know how he survived it, but they had on all these weights, and then it became easier, uh, I assume, when he went out to run the marathon or run the whatever race it was. It was very easy for him to run later. Um, actually, in the Lord's Day, when men ran the, the real race uh, that they were involved in, they ran naked. The women weren't usually invited. It was offensive and, and such. So they weren't usually even invited to the races because the men ran Stark naked, as we would call it. But more than that, the word here means take the fat off. And so what he's really trying to do is not only remove the clothing and such as that, he's taking off everything he can, including weight, literal weight, fat, that would hold him back. So I want to put a word with that. Let's call this the encumbrance. And the reason I'm choosing to do that, I sat down and, and, and let me make a disclaimer before I open this paper. I am not a Greek scholar at all. But I can use lexicons and I can read a little bit of Greek and such as that. So I sat down and tried to retranslate this. This is the Jim Merle translation. I'll show you what to do with this as soon as I finish reading this. I want to read to you the wording that I put in here when I tried to help myself to understand the passage. And I'm just reading this parallel. You can look at what you have in front of you. See how this pairs up. Uh, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, that's just a clear word, let us lay, us, uh, lay along beside us every encumbrance and the sin which is so easily going to entangle us and let us run with endurance. I've already shared with you the word endurance and then fixing our eyes upon Jesus. Now, here's what you do with that so that you're never confused by it. The word encumbrance means to just, just wrap us up and to hold on or to put too much on, to weight us down. The idea here is that everything that is too much needs to be gone. As we're going to divide it in just a moment, you can see it and you've heard this before. I'm not trying to surprise you with anything. It's a very different thing from the next phrase. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that is so easily beset. This is not sin. The things that are being spoken of here are described here spiritually. These are not sinful things. These are things that are just extra. These are things that are just hanging on. These are things that are actually, in this case, could be some of them good things. They just get in the way. They're just too much. You know, we, do, we describe things, and I always blame Sears and Roebuck. Some of you didn't call it Roebuck. Some of you don't. Younger people don't know it's Roebuck to begin with, but it was Sears, Roebuck and Company. But we blame, I blame Sears for this. They used to have in the cell papers, especially in appliances, they had the good, the better, and the best. Most of us shopped on the good side. We couldn't afford the better or the best. But, but we live that way in life, the good, the better, and the best. But really in life, as far as spiritual things go, oftentimes there is the good and then there's the worthless. 
There are a lot of good things we could be doing, say, on the Lord's Day. But there's also a lot of worthless things. And sometimes the good to some men are actually worthless. For example, it would be good if you at the 11 o'clock hour-ish were cooking lunch for someone. But it'd be worthless if you were missing worship to do it. It would be good if we were out carrying someone uh, a new set of clothes who were in need. But it'd be worthless if we did that and just told them, here, I'm a good person and I want you to have good clothes and we never told them about God being behind that. A lot of good things that can be done that are, that are worthless. Much of times, much of the time, life is like that. He says, let us lay aside... Every weight. Let us take away the encumbrances, the things that are laid upon us. Now, in this life, what happens is the world are the encumbrances. The things that we get a hold to, they're to get a hold of us. How many of us Alabama fans spent four hours watching the ball game yesterday? I did. I wonder if James watched the ball game yesterday. I knew he didn't. I bet he had a Bible study. He did better than I did. I didn't do wrong. Some things are good. When it comes to living our lives and, and, and living with a level of endurance, there are sometimes things that are better off that we be without. You know, when I travel, I travel sometimes with a suitcase. My suitcases are black. Some of you have black suitcases. I can identify my black suitcase because it has a tear on the top. I can tell that it's not yours. But you wouldn't know that. I cannot identify your suitcase really, neither can you identify mine. But I know they're different. You say you're confusing me. What I'm trying to tell you is you've got to identify your own extra baggage. If you watch too much television or you stay on the internet too much or you uh, spend too much time with friends or you spend too much time in the woods or you spend too much time on the lake, you spend too much time doing this or you find out what you need in life to help you to, to maintain the endurance and spiritual faithfulness that you need Find out what you need to survive and do that and lay aside everything else.
Number next. We see the encouragers here. We see the encumbrance, but we also see the next one, and it is the entanglement. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Now, the word beset, I'm I'm translating it a little bit differently here, uh, properly, I hope, to say that it is that which entangles us. That is, it wraps us up. These are the things that are, he says, these things beset us. That is the sin that does beset us. It will wrap us up. These are the things that will trip us up. Has anyone ever fallen on their face? Physically, probably some. Spiritually, most likely all. We've been children of God's very long. At some point in some time, we have fallen on our spiritual faces. Because sin will do that. Now you can read commentaries stacked to the ceiling. And you can find various opinions on the sins uh, sin that is involved here. It's most notable to me, and I've tried to check this out as clearly as I can. I want you to look here and just see what's written and be, be careful with it. But he says here, let us lay aside every weight and the, see the word the, T-H-E, the sin. There's not an S there. The sin that does so easily beset or entangle us. Now you say, wait a minute, there's a lot of sin that has thrown me on my face before. There are a lot of different sins that have tangled me up. I've been involved in this sin at one point. It tangled me up and made me fall. I've been involved in this sin at one point. It tangled me up and caused me to fall. And this one and that one. And I mean, I'm not just uh, just an awful person, but uh, we're being honest and we're admitting some things. And, and here's what's happened in this point in that time. And The scriptures say here that it is there is a sin, a single sin that will beset us or entangle us. And we need to avoid that. That's the the idea. That's the illustration here that's being given or that's being asked. What could that be? Contextually. Contextually, putting this back with chapter 11. All the people in chapter 11 had one thing, one golden thread that ran through all of their lives, and that is they relied upon God. Every one of them. None of them focused on their own desires, their own wants. None of them trusted in themselves. Then you flip the coin for chapter 12 and he says, Do you, you need to be careful. Don't let this life, I'm using my word, encumber you and weight you down. Be very, very careful. Don't be tangled up in yourself and in your selfishness and don't be focused on yourself. So the opposite of focusing on God is just that. The sin that could entangle you is selfishness. Look at it. Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. Well, what did Abel do? We know if we look all the way back, Abel offered unto God that animal sacrifice that God was apparently requiring. We have to do some study to get to that, but we have that back over Genesis 3-ish, 4-ish. 
What if Abel had been selfish, such as Cain, and said, I'll offer what I want to offer? What if, we'll just move down to Noah, what if Noah had said, you know what, you say build an ark, God, out of gopher wood, but I'm going to be selfish. I like gopher wood. It's good for the fireplace. I'll just soon build it out of this other old stuff I got. Wouldn't have worked. What if Abraham had said, look, I'm enjoying her of the Chaldees. I'm not going anywhere else. All of that would have been selfish. All of that would have become the sin, the sin of self-centeredness, the sin that was going against what they were committing, which was belief, which would have been unbelief, and that would have kept them to trusting in themselves. The idea is you have to run in God's strength and not in man's. Wherefore, see... We're also so compassed about in such a great a cloud of witnesses. We need encouragement. Let us lay aside every weight. Don't be encumbered or weighted down by this world. And let us also, also lay aside the sin which does so easily beset or entangle us but run with patience or endurance the race that is set before us. Now, like Florence Chadwick gave up and quit, unlike me, typically I'm giving up and quitting right now. We've got a lot more to go for this evening. I want you to focus on just what we've said already, and there's not much here. There's not much. Do you need encouragement? If you do, I'm not trying to take away from the encouragement that you get from your brothers and sisters in front, behind, to left, or right. I'm not trying to take away from that. You all encourage me beyond what you can imagine. But I'm telling you, the source of encouragement God gave us is in the, in the book. If we're not spending time studying this book, studying God's character, studying God's forms and, and, and men and women of encouragement, we're not getting the encouragement God gave. We need to be looking to the cloud of witnesses. If we're living a life where we're allowing ourselves to be encumbered, to be weighted down by this world, we're failing in that sense because we're allowing ourselves to be held to the world. And it's hard to be lifted up when we're so weighted down. And then we have to beg of ourselves never to be entangled. Wrapped up in the things of this world, tangled to a sense that we cannot... Make it to heaven in that way. We need the faithful endurance that's needful to find ourselves in heaven. If you're here this morning, you're not a child of God's. And you're in a position right now in your life already that you've got to have a faithfulness that has a beginning so it can even begin to endure, to, to, to carry itself into eternity. We want to encourage you to know that way. Very simply stated, you need to spend more time in God's Word and we can assist you in doing that. Anyone here can assist you in doing that to knowing that you're going to have to have a faith in God. You're going to have to have a faith that is willing to repent of your sins, confess 
Christ's name and, and, and to be baptized. Baptism is essential, contrary to what you may have th- heard or thought. It is essential for salvation. There's biblical basis and proof for that. You need to discuss that. You need to read that for yourself. That's going to bring you to salvation. But then a faithful and enduring life is what you're going to have to be involved in. And it will not be easy. God's word can carry you through. It can maintain you. I pray that you're willing to do that. You're going to have to maintain that life through faithfulness and through prayer, through begging God for his assistance, help, and forgiveness. And you may even need to do that this morning while we stand and sing.